Welcome to Brillante, the podcast with a French accent which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented and inspiring women with atypical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries and develop your own brilliant projects. Barbara Lax had one ambition, to have a long-term positive impact on people's lives. After the birth of her first daughter, while searching for the best childcare system, the civil engineer found out how she could contribute to a better future by creating a childcare concept adapted to the modern world. I don't see why a childcare only needs to have a certain amount of opening hours. All of our families, their most important thing in their lives is the child. And maybe they feel the same responsibility like me to being a parent and being an active person in the business life and to contributing something and to doing all that together. And for that, you need a reliable partner that is not judging you and that is here to help and that is here to support you in all your adventures and endeavors. Against all odds, despite the reluctance of her surroundings, Barbara left her successful career at Caterpillar and set out on her own. In 2012, Little Greenhouse was born, a childcare network adapted to modern families, helping both parents to keep their career multilingual, close to nature and ecology, and following an innovative educational system according to the discoveries of neurosciences. I'm still very proud of myself today because I think I was very, very brave to also giving up all this You know, this identity, this image, this representation of this big corporate mm -hmm. organization, international, very powerful. And to just go to something that is maybe publicly not as accepted or admired and just because I really follow my heart. In this discussion, the three athlete, an Iron woman, looks back on the first particularly difficult years of entrepreneurship and what drove her to persevere in spite of everything. We talk about education, of course, and in particular about the incredible breakthroughs in neuroscience directly relevant for the education of young children. We also discuss about public policies for early childcare and about parental leave. The businesswoman, whose company was rated last year as one of the most dynamic companies in Europe by the Financial Times, explains her decision to create a system of private crashes and details her wishes for expansion. In short, Barbara gives us a real entrepreneurial lesson and makes us realize how crucial the early years are for every child and how family policy can help create a modern, open and egalitarian society. So plug in your headphones. It's time for the new episode of Brillante. Dear Barbara, thank you very much for accepting my invitation. Today we are going to talk about childcare, about children and nurseries, especially here in Switzerland. And to start with, I wanted to know, could you describe the place where we are here in Zurich and explain me to what extent is it important for Little Greenhouse, your company? Yes, so um, we are here in Little Greenhouse uh, in Zurich Altstetten in the Basler Park. Uh, it's a building that is, I think, very innovative because it's also um, combining different services. There is a concierge desk at the entrance, there is a gym, there is co-working spaces, and there is a little greenhouse, the childcare. And I think that for a modern family, it's very important that they don't have to go so many ways um, to get all their needs fulfilled, but they can really spend the maximum of time together um, You know, because most of our families are actually um, having a career and having a family. And so I think it's really, really good uh, the way it's organized here. To make their life easy. Absolutely. And then our uh, site here in Zurich, it's our fifth uh, site that we open. It's the first time we open a site in the German part of Switzerland. And we are fully implementing here also our little greenhouse concept. And what I really like about this place, besides the environment of the Basler Park, is also the um, very good proximity to the forest, uh, to, you know, huge gardens, to nature, because that's part of our concept and that's really important. 
Very nice. So I always start my interview the same way by asking you, what did you think when you heard this name, Brillante? What does it mean for you? And uh, do you have an example of a sparkling woman, uh, someone that has been inspiring you that you would like to tell me about? Um, yes, so sparkling for me means um, also, you know, funny. It means full of joy of life. It means free. And so the first person that comes to mind, the first woman for me that is really representing that is um, Pippi Longstocking. Mm -hmm. um, that's really my childhood idol. And until today, I think there is such a wonderful message in her story to challenge the status quo, to be brave and not afraid, creative and just do as you like. And, Little girl uh, that yes, goes ahead. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, nice example. So I wanted to enter in the core of the subject in January 2021 will be implemented the two weeks paternity leave in Switzerland that was voted in September 2020. And I wanted to know what was your reaction to the outcome of the vote? To what extent do you think it was important for the Swiss society to have this paternity leave? And do you think two weeks is enough? Um, well, at Little Greenhouse, we already have the paternity leave uh, since much longer. So we were ourselves financing that leave. And uh, I believe two weeks is not enough. I am uh, all in for equal rights uh, for gender. And I think that also in terms of parental leave, there needs to be equal rights. Uh, women and men should have the same time of work because they're both parents and they're both equally important for the children. Yeah. Switzerland is often described as not such a good country actually for childcare. Like just in September 2020, just before the vote actually, there was a report coming saying that Switzerland was the most expensive country in Europe for childcare. Especially nurseries actually are very expensive. Many parents actually choose to, one of the parents choose not to work in order to take care of the children. But there is also the UNICEF family policy study from July tw uh, 2019 and that was saying that Switzerland was ranked the last out of uh, 31 countries in Europe in terms of childcare. So I wanted to know as a mother and also as the founder of Little Greenhouse, how did you feel about this? Yeah, a lot of questions in one. Um, I think that um, the political system in Switzerland is in a way that people pay not as many taxes as in other countries. And along comes then also the cost for certain services that people have to carry themselves. So I think you need to look at that together in a way. You know, I think you cannot expect to not pay a lot of taxes and still have all the services like in other countries. So mm -hmm. I don't know how isolated that picture is. Also, the politics in different cantons is uh, very, very different. Each canton has a very different politics. Personally, from a standpoint of a private childcare, we will be more and more looking into cantons like Zurich, where there is a place for us because there is subsidies for parents that are under a certain income level and that will um, be able to afford childcare. And I think the social mix is very, very important for the future citizen. I think it's important that they grow up all together, very inclusive, you know, the whole mix of society, the whole mix of cultures. And in Zurich, we have this opportunity because parents are subsidized when they don't earn enough, which is wonderful. There's also more and more coming in other cantons. However, for example, in the Romandie, which in my eyes is a, a not a good example of childcare offer because there the private childcares are only accessible to people with higher income. And then you also mentioned that sometimes people decide to quit their job just to stay at home. I think, again, there it's a sometimes maybe short-sighted decision. Um, it's, of course, a personal decision, but I think you need to calculate the long way. You also have to have your pension. You might maybe not always stay with your partner. At some point, it might fall back on you when you don't have the full you know, safety net when you get older. And also you're often missing out on a very important time in your career where you maybe not earn as much, but where you develop the foundation to later having a better income and also having more freedom and more impact. So I'm really hoping that we are contributing to people deciding to stay in their job because our childcare is inspiring enough and hopefully affordable enough so that uh, families can actually do both. Yeah, 
I understand. And I see the long-term decision is really important Yes, to be taken into account. Yeah. Is there a country that is the best example in your opinion? I think it's a choice. Um, again, it's there is countries like Sweden, for example. I think it's wonderful what they do with the parental leave. I think you have two years shared between the two parents. And you can split it as you like, but there is a minimum that the dad needs to take, mm -hmm. I think minimum of half a year. And again, I mean, it's a choice. Then there you just pay a lot of tax and you have a lot of social services. It depends on how much you want to decide yourself and how much you want the state to take care of yourself. And depending on that, I think you need to choose a place to live. Yeah. I personally like the liberal politics in Switzerland. So I'm asking all, all these questions to you because you became, since 10 years, an expert in childcare, starting with your own business, Little Greenhouse. But this was not at all your path in the beginning. And I would like to go a bit through it if you're okay with this. So I wanted to know where were you born and raised and uh, what were you dreaming of when you were younger? So I'm coming from a very small town in Bavaria in the mountains. Mm -hmm. There's mountains and lakes. There's lots of snow. It's pretty cold. Uh, I grew up uh, spending a lot of my time in nature, outdoors. I found a lot of resources through nature, being alone in nature, being outside. For me, it's really something where I can get energy from, where I can find peace, where I can get my strength from. And I think that that's a very important thing to keep in mind when you know we raise children when we grow up when we are adults to have that link to nature on the other hand i was always dreaming about traveling um, to go to other countries to learn other languages i was always fascinated by you know the world and so i was inspired by women like uh, Ella Maillard, you know, who were so brave in the beginning already of the 20th century to travel to all these very exotic places. And I really saw myself as a traveler as well. That's probably why I moved so many times. Oh, I didn't know that you moved so many times, actually. After the school, you, you chose to study civil engineering and you moved to Switzerland. This I know. Where, where else have you been moving? So, well, I actually studied civil engineering in Karlsruhe in Germany, but I was always each, you know, vacation, I was traveling and so on. Then I moved to Lausanne for a research project. Then I moved back to Germany. Then I moved to Barcelona. Uh -huh. Then I moved back to Germany for a little while. Then I moved to Geneva. And I mean, now I moved to the countryside. <laughs> but uh, I think I just started moving when I was... Uh, When I was 18, 19, before that, I never moved. And then I just really enjoyed it, you know, to completely change the environment, change the language, change the setting, go to big cities, go to the countryside. And it's very enriching, I think. Do you feel like an expat here in Switzerland? No, no. no. I have the Swiss nationality. My grandmother's from Zurich. Oh. I have family in Zug. I feel very at home in the Romandie, even though I never learned French when I was uh, in school. I just picked it up there and... Uh, you speak a really good French, <laughs> I can <laughs> say. <laughs> I just love the language. I love the culture there and where I live. It's a very small village and all the neighbors know each other, but they're all from different nationalities. So it's the status quo to be from different places and there is no way of having to be or what you should do. You know, it's just everybody does something different and we all really get along. And I just love that. Very nice. So as we said, you started to study civil engineering. Why did you choose these studies? What did you want to become as a profession? First, I wanted to become a doctor when I was younger. I wanted to become a, a specialist for, for sports people, for knees and elbows. And... Um, The place I grew up was quite traditional and I talked about this with somebody I knew from, you know, who did this this profession, a man, a um, friend of my parents. And he just told me that I would be too old um, when I would reach this profession to actually have a family and it would be impossible for me as a woman to do it and that I would probably just stop along the way. And I mean, that probably wouldn't have stopped me, but it was really kind of bothering me and as it wasn't like the only dream I had it was just the idea and I really could see myself in that job 
I wanted also freedom and I wanted really to have an impact and somehow I believed that, you know, I, I didn't question that. That was just the way everybody believed and the way everybody lived in this town. And so I just thought, okay, then I have to find something where I can become free and independent and, and faster. And I love mathematics. Um, my grandfather is an architect and I just love the idea of um, creating something tangible, uh, something that has an impact for people that can improve lives. I saw myself as a civil engineer going to other countries, maybe building, you know, ponds for maybe developing countries, going to some organization that maybe builds roads in remote places or, you know, anything. I was just feeling that that profession could open so many doors and would allow me to be independent and and travel and those were for me the most important things was it the case in the end well i didn't go to build roads myself but i was spending 12 years at caterpillar and traveling the world with them all continents uh, having you know a lot of different encounters with different cultures i was working in road construction for a while not building the roads myself but uh, you know analyzing the processes for example so there were moments where I could actually get very close to that idea. And until today, I'm involved in architect. We build our own childcare centers. We have our own uh, concept for building uh, prefabricated modular wood houses together mm -hmm. with Erne. I'm on the board of directors of a big architecture company in Switzerland. And so I really feel that I can bring this different dimension to childcare And I can bring this different dimension also to construction. And it's, I think, very interesting to combine those worlds. Yes, it is indeed. I was just wondering, because I heard that when you finished your studies, before entering Caterpillar, you were thinking about traveling, as you said, and joining an NGO, for instance. But you didn't, because someone told you that you should rather start in a company. And I think it's interesting because you seem to be, well, you are quite a powerful woman. You've been founding this company Little Greenhouse that's working really well despite all the difficulties and fighting for this. But you still listened to what people told you before your studies, after your studies. Have you been thinking about this before? Have you been thinking like, what would have happened if I was not listening to them? Yes, yes, I asked myself that. And uh, I think that it's a combination. When I did a decision for myself and for the future, it was... I knew some, sometimes in my heart that there is something behind that resonates with me. So, And I needed to learn also to follow more and more my heart. Um, I think both decisions were very good. I'm glad I'm not a specialist for knee and elbows both today because I think you need to be a very detail-oriented perfectionist worker, mm -hmm. which I think I'm more the visionary, you know, generalist mm -hmm. and that combines different things, but I don't like to go too deep. Uh, and that's maybe also why I never actually became a calculating aesthetics civil mm -hmm. engineer, you know, for the same reason. I like challenges and that's maybe also why I started civil engineering because it was also a huge challenge, you know, to finish and to really go through the whole thing to, I was, you know, going into statics after my studies i went to travel six months in south america and it was a amazing experience to to just live out of a little rucksack for so long and never knowing where you sleep and what to eat and how All to alone no um together with a friend uh -huh. and uh with very little money and i like to travel with very little money it's i think it's it's such an adventure and uh, I think that, you know, also when I listened uh, to this friend telling me, maybe you should first go to a company and understand how the world is functioning and really get your skills and then you can go out and do good. That really resonated with me and I'm still thankful for that advice today because I learned so much in those 12 years at Caterpillar. I learned, you know, how to sell an idea, how to negotiate with people how to be clear, how to analyze, learn about strategy, about marketing, about getting to people with an idea. I also learned about the things that I didn't want to do anymore. I wanted to create a company where 
people that work there understand the impact they have on people's lives, mm -hmm. something bigger that lasts beyond our lives, you know, something where you feel you contribute to something bigger, where in the moment when you leave or when you die, you feel it's not only for the money, it's really for a bigger cause. For a vision. And a vision. Yes, and that for me was really, really important and it was the main reason why I quit the job and started my own company. What uh, was your idea of making a career when you started working at Caterpillar? And, and to what extent has it been evolving? Well, when I came to Geneva, I just wanted to be in Geneva. I just love Geneva. Geneva for me is paradise because it's multinational, it's open, there are the mountains, there's a lake. I love the influence of the French culture. I love the food. I love the vineyards. It's paradise. I love the Lavo, you know, all the Lake Geneva area. It's for me, I came there the first time when I was 14. And for me, still today, when I'm a, having a sad day, I remind myself that I made it to this place. When I was 14, I thought, even if I have to sleep under a bridge, this is where I want to live. And so for me, the job choice was secondary, actually. I mean, Caterpillar for me was wonderful because I could travel the world, get to know so many people, develop my skills in a very open and encouraging environment. I love the American culture where they are so much growth-minded, you know, encouraging people to try mm -hmm. new things, mm -hmm. not being afraid, you know, like Pippi Longstocking who says, uh, I never did this before, but uh, that's why I surely will do a good job, you know, and uh, all this really helped me to discover my my strength and my passions in a very relaxed environment. I didn't feel under pressure. I didn't feel stressed. I just was really like a fish in the water, but it wasn't enough for me to just go on like that. You know, at some point you feel you have learned enough and you want to do something with it. And there... I think I reached a limit in, in such a big corporation where it's not always so tangible what your impact is. So actually, that, that's when you started changing your plans, I guess. Maybe when your idea of a career also changed, like having was more like having an impact, having a vision for the future. Um, so I think it was in 2009 when you got your first child that you, you, you started to, to think about doing something different and maybe creating your own company. First of all, I often hear that it's something quite common among, among women, the willingness to change something after having the first child. Do you think it is related? For me, the idea to leave Caterpillar came already the first time in 2003, very shortly after I actually joined. And that was, I was working on a very interesting big project for entering the wind energy market. There were lots of synergies uh, with the production of um, gearboxes, for example, for big caterpillar machines and also for those wind turbines. And I'm passionate about sustainable development, about the environment, and I, I'm passionate about innovation. And I just loved this project and it was my world. And I saw myself, you know, helping caterpillar grow this new business. And then they decided against it. Um, on for me not very understandable reasons just because there was a change in you know the top the management or, yeah. yeah and uh, then more and more the strategy was towards you know going back to the traditional mining and um, fracking industry um, things like that I, I that were not in line with my values also more and more I saw people leaving Caterpillar when they retired or died and there was nobody picking up their job um, after that and you know it was just idling for a, a while nobody took on that role there was no transfer of knowledge many times and it made me very sad you know because I think when you when you die or when you go on retirement you want to look back at your life and you want to see the legacy you leave and you want to share your knowledge and when that's not the case then what it is all for you know besides the money And uh, so that was bothering me for a very long time. When I then had my daughter in 2009, that feeling got even stronger because I really wanted to go back to work 100%. I was really a strong believer in combining a career and a family. And especially as a mother to a daughter, 
I felt it was my responsibility also to show her that it's possible so that she can have her own free and independent life and she will not feel guilty about it. I really felt this very strongly. But I also didn't feel like just spending my days working on some projects that didn't make any sense to me just to earn my money. And that's where this idea got more and more important that I had to do something else. But it wasn't very clear what I wanted to do. So how did you come with this idea of Little Greenhouse? Well, actually, it was really by coincidence at that moment. I mean, thinking back, I think maybe there were several things that led to it. But uh, at that moment, I was really surprised by my own idea. And it was in a barbecue with friends where we were doing a brainstorming about what we would do if we would start our own company. And it wasn't even my first idea. You know, my first idea was like, yeah, I will open this Bavarian beer garden in the Parc de Bastion uh, in uh, Geneva because, you know, I really <laughs> like this atmosphere where people mm -hmm. bring their own picnic and they can have their beer and then families meet and this very open and, and free environment. A little, maybe like... Um, Here, I think you have it in uh, in Zurich. You have some places like We that. We have some beer gardens, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And uh, it, there is nothing like that in Geneva. And then a friend of mine told me, yeah, but you know, your daughter, she's small. And then you will always be with drunk people. And you will not have time with your family on weekends and in the evenings. And then I just said, okay, yeah, ch children. Okay, then I'll just open this very innovative group of childcare centers you know, with like languages and nature and really good for our working parents. And, you know, there were so many people in our in our little barbecue that were really applauding the idea and were saying, oh my God, this is really what's needed and you should do that. And I was just laughing about it. But when I cycled home that day, I was thinking, why not? You know, why not? I'm my own customer, which I knew was an yeah. important um, aspect of creating your own business because you really feel what you're, your customers need. I have this vision of, you know, having an impact in the local society, um, doing some sustainability projects, you know, for the future generation. And even though education was never my passion and nothing I ever thought of working at, I thought that maybe that's just the easiest way for me to combine and fulfill all these ideals and all these wishes for my life. At the time, your daughter was already in a childcare center. I mean, were you facing problems actually for for your own case to find the right place? Was it one of the reasons also maybe? When she was very small, when I had the idea, she wasn't yet in a childcare center. I think I visited some or contacted some, but I didn't like the engagement and the passion. I, I didn't feel it and I, I didn't feel it was all very inspiring. Um, we had an au pair at home. Mm -hmm. because I was traveling a lot. I wasn't there at night. So we needed somebody that stays with us all the time. So I knew that there was nothing that I imagined offered, but it wasn't a real constraint for me at the time. And so I think I grew then into the, you know, my daughter was one of the first children at Little Green House. So, and before I opened Little Green House, she then started visiting another childcare center. Um, so I, I also understood a bit the market and there was definitely not a lot of inspiring choices there. Can you take us through the start, actually, of Little Greenhouse? How did you do in the first years? What were the first steps for you to, to launch this concept? So I had the idea in 2010, and during two years, I still worked full-time at Caterpillar while, while I developed the idea. And that mainly consisted of finding somebody that could co-develop the idea with me. So I'm the only founder, but very early on, I hired a pedagogic director who could then translate my ideas into a pedagogic concept, who could work with the authorities, who could train the staff. Mm -hmm. And the very first steps were to try to find financing, which was very, was very difficult, and also to find a space to get the authorizations, find the people, just get it all going. And I did that all next to my job. And, you know, it was probably not all ideal because it was a lot of things were very improvised. I didn't go into a lot of depth in terms of analyzing the market, the needs. Uh, were you supported by your surrounding to do this? Not a lot because my surrounding was not understanding, you know, I mean, my family and a lot of my friends, they felt that it was a crazy risk and it was 
also weird to go from the construction industry to into a social area and also for the people surrounding me the social area wasn't really a business and it wasn't something reliable stable you know recognized and I was I think I'm still very proud of myself today because I think I was very very brave to also giving up all this you know this identity this image this representation of this big corporate mm -hmm. organization international you know very powerful and to just go to something that is maybe publicly not as accepted or admired and just because I really followed my heart and I think that that was also what you were saying before you know the evolution of more and more listening to my heart and less and less listening to the status quo yeah but, but the fact that you know usually we say that in the first years when you are launching your business you basically work all the time people have to work all the time because it's extremely time consuming and you have so many things to think about So for you to do two things at the same time, to keep your work at Caterpillar and at the same time, this must have been a crazy period. And uh, I was wondering, like, maybe it's maybe it's also a consequence of the reluctance of your surroundings. Would you do it again this way? It's difficult to say. I think yes, because I needed to get the money for launching it. You know, I mean, I I had I put all my money in that uh, I put the, our house in guarantee that I needed to pay, pay the salaries I needed to have uh, this backup plan and also this source of income. And I really found an answer to that question when I, I read the book Originals from Adam Grant, who mm -hmm. also explained that a lot of successful startups, actually people, they, they balance risk in staying in their own job. And I think it's maybe also good that my environment didn't fully support me all the time and didn't fully stand behind me and really challenged me of course I was feeling very alone and I was going through very diff difficult times but that's more of how I defined for myself what I needed to reach in life and how I saw myself and how yeah I think my own my own image of myself rather than what others think I, I think it's also something that we need to learn as an entrepreneur to really rely on yourself and trust your guts and trust your intuition and it's maybe good training when you have to also defend these intuitions against your environment i i find it quite impressive and i have the feeling it's i don't know if it's true but i have the feeling maybe it, it goes also in line with the swiss society that privileges safety like uh, people are more eager to have a, a safe and good career than maybe being an entrepreneur and taking a lot of risk and fail maybe Or um, I, I actually did have good support from organizations like Jenny Lim, for example, yeah. uh, that are helping startups. I felt that there was some support. There was also some admiration for my passion and my idealism and my courage. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, again, I think it was more my own way of looking at this. You know, I have been brought up. Uh, that you need to be responsible for your, you know, you need to be very responsible. You need to, yeah, just follow the status quo or you need to, you know, have also this like financial security. And um, it was just a huge leap for me to, I took huge risks. And if I wouldn't have taken those risks, Little Greenhouse wouldn't exist today. Um, I think I would probably do it again but maybe take a little bit more time and work a lot more on my own energy and my own picture of what is actually success. I learned a lot about that. I think if Little Greenhouse would stop to exist tomorrow, it wouldn't be the same catastrophe for me as it would have been after three months uh, in business because I learned that you just do your best and you give everything and Even if you fail, at least you have tried. And I really live that today. So I think I became much more fearless and independent. Um, and that's a very good thing as an entrepreneur. Maybe also thanks to the success that you got. And maybe also thanks to the difficult times that I lived through and that uh, taught me how you need to work in your own energy, in your own 
image of yourself. Yeah. Um, you talked a bit about it. So you took huge financial risk, as you said. How did you do in the beginning to finance your project? What were the different options that you took? So it was quite an adventure because um, I had saved money from my work at Caterpillar. You know, I had a very good salary and I don't need a lot of money. So that helped me to to put a lot of money aside. And uh, that wouldn't have been enough for just starting such a big company, you know, to, to do all the construction works, mm -hmm. to hire all the people and everything. So I was looking into finding loans. Um, I had no clue how to do it. I just went to different banks and it was very difficult. Some didn't even bother to answer back. Some said, oh, it's interesting, but we don't really know. And then there was this one bank that told me, oh, yeah, this sounds really good and we're going to do it. And I was in my, you know, naivety thinking, okay, that's great. They're going to do it. And I just signed the the rent, the lease, you know, for 10 years, uh, the contract for this building. And actually then the bank called me and said, oh, by the way, we just changed our mind. We can't fund you. And I was like seeing myself already sleeping in the streets and, you know, just losing everything. And then I did a second round knocking on doors and I found uh, the Bank Alternative Swiss, the alternative uh, bank, and they funded uh, part of it, but most of it came from my own money. Resources, yeah. And um, it was, I had much less resources that I planned and the money that the bank gave me was only under a guarantee of our house and over a cautionment, uh, which yeah. I had to sign you know, that I would pay it back over my life if um, sudden, suddenly something goes wrong. So I was really, you taking know, taking risk the whole again. risk. Yes. Uh, and there was no choice anymore because I already signed, or at least in my head, uh, was no choice. I think nowadays I know you can talk with people, you can figure out things. And I I would never, ever sign a contract before. I, I don't know how to, how really everything will work and just believing in what people tell me uh, I would really make sure, you know, this is the things that you learn along the way. But I also learned that you can always talk with people and there's always, you know, there's a real person also in each business situation and you will find a way and you will find a solution. So you don't always have to take the hard way. Yeah, because this could have been really risky, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you decided to create a private nursery? Was it clear for you that you wanted to be kind of free in the way you wanted to create it, to think the, all the concept and stuff? Was it a way to be more free maybe than going into a public system or, or is it not actually possible to create such a nursery in the public sphere? Yeah, uh, first of all, I'm not a, an educator, so there, I would have had no space in there, even as a you know an individual who's funding everything herself. Uh, the authorities basically sent me home and told me, "Look, we have enough problems. You know, we don't need the people like you knocking on our door. You just go home and create your civil engineering startup, but you know, leave us alone in our education system." And they were very, really rejecting, and in several times in several cantons. Um, The idea, so that was always you You were running against closed doors. So no way I could have done anything in the public system. But also my idea was, you know, to grow a concept, to grow a group, to have something across Switzerland, maybe beyond, to also maybe link this to other ideas, to other services, to really, you know, have more of movement going on, um, not just to open one childcare, but really also, you know, the idea of these modular wood houses came very early on they were part of my business plan to really combine ideas you know to have something really innovative that hasn't been there before and because all the just to, just to explain because all the, the the nurseries are actually created in prefabriqué um, no the idea was there for a very long time but we only recently found a partner that is mm -hmm. as excited as we are to do that and that's Erne Erne Holzbau in St. Gallen And so we are actually now planning our first modular wood houses in the canton of Fribourg so in, in uh, partnership with communes who will then take some of the places. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really exciting because it's also these public-private partnerships that I really strongly believe in. And I can see that's more and more developing now. And I really welcome that because, again, it, it helps with the social mix. It helps to do something for society and 
you know, that there is a saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. And I really believe that I would like to create this village for the family, yeah. but also work together with the villages to co-create this point of meeting, this point of interacting, this point where people just also can hang out. They just don't come here to drop off their children, but they stay here. They have a coffee with us. They meet other parents. They learn about education. They feel, you know, it's a non-judgmental environment where they can just relax and be themselves and where they have enough freedom to be good parents because, you know, we give them the peace of mind so they have time to really love their children and don't rush behind the fear of being judged for, you know, the way they... They, they raise their children. Yes, or, or they organize their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, maybe it's a good time to speak about the concept, real, the educational concept that is behind a little greenhouse. What did you want to bring? I know that it's based on four pillars. Can you explain us a bit? Uh, yes. Yeah. That's a pleasure. So we have four pillars it's mighty minds, mm -hmm. woods and well being. Uh, partners to parents and living languages. So Mighty Minds, that's, we are really based on science, on all the neuropedagogics, neuroscience, everything we know today about the brain of the children, the feeling, the emotions, how the body works, how the brains develop. And it's not just like an intuition or a feeling or a movement, but it's really science-based. And every time there is something new, you know, we really train our people, make sure that they understand what's at stake and what a child actually can and cannot do in its development stage, because that's very important. I, I cut you here because I think it's really one of the pillars that's really interesting. Yes, There has been huge developments yes. in neuroscience in the yes. last years that have been transforming completely the way we conceive education. I was listening actually to a podcast yesterday explaining a bit the role of neuroscience now in education. Basically, we know now that All the emotions come from the brain and that uh, the education should take this into account. And like when a child is crying, it, it's because there is a reason. It's yes. not, you should not leave a, a child uh, yes. crying, for instance. So you are not a scientist. I mean, you, you haven't been studying neuroscience. How do you do to be aware of all the research, everything that is happening on this field, and to make sure that everyone that is working for a Little Greenhouse can really take all these concepts for themselves and for, for their daily work. Yes, so I, I am a scientist, I'm an engineer and yeah, I worked in sorry. research and I have a passion for science. Yeah. And I think this passion for science is what helps us at Little Greenhouse because I'm not afraid of reading many books, bringing books to our staff, you know, encouraging them. And I'm, I think our concept attracts people that are very deep in the knowledge. We have a lot of people that have a very high diploma of pedagogics and that are very deep into these kind of topics, but they don't want to go into research because they want to stay close to the real life. Yeah. And I think we are the perfect place for those people. And we have our own internal training concept. We have our own handbook, all the processes, all the research, everything is defined. We train our people regularly in person and virtually. And now we're actually also developing a training center, a virtual training center over Zoom, because now during the COVID crisis, this has become a very easy to, to do with people so that we can also train parents and educators, nannies, au pairs, but also, you know, people that just want to know more about education in different countries, in different languages, and really bringing our deep knowledge, our own concept, our own unique approach But rather than, you know, having somebody that's just going for his own theory, we really base our educational system on science. And I think that that's a very big difference to um, the historical movements. Yeah, exactly. Of course, in the daily practice, we use tools from Reggio Emilia, from Montessori. You know, there's a lot of good ideas on how you can then knowing about the brain, knowing about the development of emotions, the development of, you know, how you can also yourself, also even as an adult, learn anything and train your brain to think and feel differently. I think that that's very important also for parents to understand, not only for the children, but for themselves as well. Do you have an ex a concrete example of something that we, that you are doing for the children based on this neuroscience, something that has been discovered in the last years? 
yeah, many things. Everything we do with the children, we are basing on that. So, for example, we are we are trilingual as uh, edu education or bilingual in some of our sites. We are having people speaking in the different languages to the babies already because we know that the brain for the language is formed very early on, actually already in the valley. And then also the first year, there's a lot going on in terms of the growth of that part of the of the brain. Other areas of the brain, like for example, the area of, of empathy, that grows very late. So you cannot expect of a child to have a lot of empathy. It's just the, the part of the brain is not there. Or also when a, a child, you know, has a tantrum, a real like attack of um, rage, or actually there is a, like for us as well, for the adults, the brain is disconnected. You cannot at that moment explain anything to the child. You just need to calm it down and give it the space or the or the safety to calm down. You cannot have a conversation in that moment. There, I could tell you hundreds of examples. Yeah, on, it's really, fascinating yeah, and it's just, wonderful how, how you see how it works, you know. Yeah. And we want to really help all families, you know, everywhere to really get passionate about it because I think it helps themselves and it helps their children and i think you you also you have a huge responsibility because all this neuroscience shows that the brain is developing the most in the first two years actually of uh, life so you are taking care of the children at this time it's it's quite a huge responsibility actually right Yes, it's uh, a lot going on in the brain in those early years. Of course, you the brain never stops to develop. And that's also wonderful because mm -hmm. we as adults, we can still learn anything and change the way we see the world and see ourselves. And so I really believe that it's a never-ending journey. However, the first years are very important. And yesterday, a colleague just told me she read another book and it says that in the first, I think, 30 weeks, it's like 16 puberties You know, it's so much going on and uh, it's so fascinating. It's amazing. And there is so much out there in terms of material already now. And I, th I see it as our role to really work through all of that and to come with our specialists and really package all this knowledge into something that can touch people and that it's easy to digest and that really change the way they see their own role and their role as a, as a caregiver, as a parent. So now we've been speaking about one of the pillars, actually two of the pillars, uh, Mighty Mind and then Living Languages, uh, exactly. because you are based yeah. on the three languages, French, German and uh, English. Yes. But your other uh, pillars? Yes. So there's a Woods and Wellbeing that's all about nature, going outside every day, you know, reinforcing your immune system, but also having the time that I was talking about to resource, you know, find your connection to nature And then also all the sustainability aspect of mm -hmm. it, also healthy eating, but also local engagement, you know, you name it, everything that's linked to sustainability and to nature. And then there is um, the partner to parents. And that's, again, to really give the peace of mind to parents so that they can have a family and a career. They don't feel judged. They don't judge themselves. They can relax and just really get this connection with the child and really be in this connection in the moments that they have together and not thinking I should do this and I should now do that or maybe just, you know, repeating things they have been themselves um, living through on autopilot because they don't, they are not connected maybe to themselves and to the children. So anything we can do to help them, um, like, you know, longer opening hours, additional support, but also taking the time, you know, to have a coffee with them or to have a beer with them, you know, to really get close to them and uh, have this this relationship of trust. All of that will help also the children and their development. So from what I understand, you kind of promote the idea of an open family where both are working, where they, even if they are working long hours, they should be free to do so. And it doesn't mean that they don't take care of their children in the right way. What is exactly the idea of the family that you, that you want to promote? I think it needs to work for each family and there's different models and different needs in terms of flexibility. Um, maybe some parents start early, but they finish early and others start late and they finish late. And I don't see why a childcare only 
needs to have a certain amount of opening hours. I think it's not our job to tell the parents how long they should or should not bring the children. Mm -hmm. I trust them that they know what is best for their own rhythm and uh, that they can then choose to really be with the children when they have time. And I think that uh, I can see that, you know, the families, all of our families, their most important thing in their lives is the child. And maybe they feel the same responsibility like me to being a parent and being an active person in the business life and in the professional life and to contributing something and to doing all that together. And for that, you need a reliable partner yeah. that is not judging you and that is here to help and that is here to support you in all your adventures and endeavors. Yeah. All your concept is very successful. You keep expanding. And in 2017, you were awarded by Vevclico as the Business Women of the Year. Also in 2019, the Financial Times ranked Little Greenhouse as one of the most dynamic companies in Switzerland, even in Europe. What does such recognition mean for you? And to what extent is it helping you and your business? makes me very happy because I think it gives us the visibility and I feel that the ch child care and in general the social business is such an important sector. I'm very happy that in the COVID crisis also this got much more in the foreground and yeah. it's got more, more seen. I think all this development is very good to show that this is also a business. This is also something that is developing, that is needs to be sustained, that you need to have a certain level of quality i think there needs to be a certain amount of competition so that the customers actually can have a choice and i'm very happy that all these recognitions you know they're about business and that there is this link because as i said when i started to look into the early childhood education it wasn't perceived by many people as business it was just the social world kind of weird thing. And I think those two worlds, the business world and the social world, they are very interlinked and we need to look at it and find the best ways. Otherwise, we're just like making it very complicated and closing our eyes to, you know, it's not two worlds, it's one world. So it all needs to be linked together. And what are your plans for the future actually for Little Greenhouse? Do you plan to expand more and more in Switzerland? Yes. Also because the, the holding Apprenement, that is a Swiss family group, acquired a share of Little Greenhouse to help you expand. Yes, it was always part, uh, the idea was always to create this concept, this group that could grow and that we could really have something very high quality, innovative and strong that could then, you know, be replicated, but also adapted to the different, you know, tr not trends, but the movements and the, you know, development of society. I mm. think we need to be agile. We need to see, okay, how, what's the future of childcare? Uh, how do we need to, uh, to, to be different? What can we help the society develop itself in a good way? And I think that that's a never ending story. So for me, Little Greenhouse should exist much beyond my own life. I hope that the people at Little Greenhouse can carry that forward and that they also see that as their own mission. And I can really mm. feel that. Our mission is to educate the free, democratic thinking, creative and happy citizen of tomorrow. And I think that that mission will never go away. And it's exciting us as much today as hopefully all the future generations will be excited about that. And I would really like to make Little Greenhouse this agile and open organization that will actually adapt in the future to the future needs of the society. So yes, in Switzerland, yes, also beyond Switzerland, and yes, also for bringing our concept in a more virtual way to all caregivers around the world. So I think for a quality concept that is based on science and that really has an impact in a positive way, there is no borders or there is no limits. And what I think what's really important for us is that We're not looking so much at the quantitative growth, like we have 180 employees today and we'll probably, you know, double them in the next three or four years. And that while we're growing, we need to really bring back each time the learnings and the improvements and the quality to all our sites. And the bigger we grow, the more possibilities we have on that, if we have that in mind. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, what would you say is the thing you value the most? 
that you like the most, you know, maybe independence or maybe the freedom to do whatever you want and to create whatever you want or... Well, I'm very happy and proud to be in a in a space where I can contribute to creating something that will be lasting and that will have an impact on people's lives. And we can make decisions very fast. We can be innovative. We don't have to, you know, ask anybody to to try something new. Also, sometimes, you know, maybe have going down the wrong path, but then learning from our mistakes. And I think this freedom is very important. The innovation for me is very important. I'm very passionate about, you know, thinking about new ideas and how it can impact what we do today. And then at the same time, really create something long lasting that will inspire people to work for us and to work with us. When I uh, interview all those women, there is something that I always like to know. It's to what extent has the network been helping you? Um, also, in, in your uh, in your case, you didn't know anyone actually working in education. So how did you do to create your network in the field? And especially, what about the sorority? Have you been helped by women? I have been helped by women and men. Um, I wouldn't say more by women than by men or more by men than by women. I have personally more of, historically more of a masculine network because of my profession mm -hmm. and then I felt there was also a lot of women networks that were supportive I always think it's interesting to to have the mix and to have the different ideas and you know just people that are passionate about the same thing and you know I think I bring a different twist to this uh, to the development because my network is is coming again more from the business side from the construction side and and for example now we are doing this this training of our team leaders of our leaders with two coaches that were actually um, in my past life they were colleagues at caterpillar and they started their own coaching business and it's amazing how you can bring all these different streams and ideas and people together and create something new and really inspiring so i think new networks old networks you need to bring them all together and in the end you see that it's all part of something bigger and it 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 all brings you further so it's important i think to use a lot of very very different networks okay very nice we are now coming to the end of the interview i'm just going to finish with a few short questions there is one point that we haven't been speaking about because it would be too long to speak about all these topics but you are a triathlete and iron woman And I wanted to know to what extent has sports been helping you through this process? And what do you think it brings you in your daily life? Sports for me is very important. It's a huge amount for me of the way how I can find my peace. So I'm actually training for the Ironman in Thun next year. In the Starting again. Okay, yeah, I thought exactly. you would not so do it no, again. I'm in the middle of my training and I'm very focused. I'm following this trainings plan. I love it because when you have a trainings plan, I, I have a coach that gives makes the trainings plan for me. Then you're obliged, you know, to go on your bike, to go running, and it's so good for me, you know. When I when I do it, when I'm out there, when I'm running, when I'm cycling, when I'm swimming, I just feel so myself, and all the ideas are coming, flying to me, and I just come back so full of energy and full of ideas, but. When you're in your daily job and you don't have a trainings plan, then there's always something more important. And then you think, oh, I can just go running tomorrow or I'm too tired now. Or yes. So you're not forcing yourself. Yeah. So I think I need this objective, this big objective that I can work towards. And I think also to go through a very long, enduring race like the Ironman trains your brain, trains your endurance, your resilience, you know. Um, your focus and you can translate that then again in your daily entrepreneurial life yeah inspiring what is the next exciting project that you would like to tell me about what i'm really really excited now that we are launching the little greenhouse campus uh -huh. uh, this platform where we will you know do this mix of virtual and in more personal training and coaching for all kinds of caregivers all over the world uh -huh. and bringing the little greenhouse concept in a different way out there i think this is a wonderful addition to what we're already doing internally in training our families and our caregivers and i'm super excited about that because i see all these possibilities opening up to interacting 
a lot more people than we can only through our childcare centers. And to bring all this knowledge yes, to other to people, yeah. yeah, to the world. Um, what are you scared of? Spiders. I'm really scared <laughs> of spiders. If you were a man for 24 hours, what would you do? Probably pretty much the same I'm doing now. <laughs> Nothing different. <laughs> what inspires you? How do you feel yourself intellectually? Do you have a book? Do you have a... Something that you would like to tell me about? Yeah, I think my sports training is really a very important part that is for me. And I love listening to books or podcasts while I'm training. That's always a good point. <laughs> <laughs> What are you the most proud of? I'm very proud of having started Little Green House despite all odds and, you know, working my way through and finding a way to make it work. And finally, who would you like to listen to in this podcast? I think it would be wonderful if you could interview Mara uh, Harvey from Zurich. Mm -hmm. She's uh, wrote a lot of books about financial education of children, mm -hmm. especially also, you know, helping girls to have a better education about finance. And she's an executive at a Swiss bank and at the same time has this really big mission to bringing financial education to children and especially to girls so i think she would be a wonderful person for you to interview that's a really good idea thanks a lot well that's it our discussion is over thank you very much barbara it was a pleasure to have you thank you Jeanne. thank you for your time have a nice day thanks thank you thanks to you who listened to this episode until the end. If you liked it, and if you want to help me grow brilliant, it's very simple. Just subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform and share it with as many people around you as possible or on your social networks. This is really a great help for me. Merci à toi et à bientôt sur Brillante.